You're listening to 101.9 FM KPCRLP Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here and welcome to Drinks with Tony. My guest is John Bassoff. He's the author of Beneath Cruel Waters. It comes out in June, but feel free to order your copy today. And if you like the show, you'll love supporting the show. Support us on Patreon. Go to drinkswithtony.com for the link or directly to patreon.com slash Tony Duchesne. And for as little as $3 a month, you can support the show and get groovy extra content. And in the future, writing courses and prompts. And now, on today's show, John and I discuss theology and religious studies, what it's like to be in 40 degrees below zero temperature weather, how to find love, and it might just come from your dad, teaching high school kids creative writing, cheese curds of Wisconsin, writing routines, and screenwriting versus novels. Hi, I'm John Bassoff, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have John Bassoff. He's the author of Beneath Cruel Waters. John, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Tony? Good. What is the weather like out there in Colorado? It is hot. We got we got mid-80s today. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, that's like Los Angeles weather right now. We might even be cooler than you. Yeah, and it'll snow within a week, but that's, that's what we've got today. <laughs> is, is that normal or is that all global warming happening? I think I think a little of both. I mean, Colorado's pretty schizophrenic with its weather, but um, yeah, but yeah, I'm sure we we got a little of the global warming thing going on here too. I mean, I I've never lived in snow. I've always wanted to live in snow, and then some people are like, "You don't want to live in snow." I don't know what the consensus is on that. Well, you know, I lived in the Midwest for when I went to college and you don't want to live there if you don't like the cold. I mean, that that's ridiculous, but yeah, it's not bad in Colorado. We're good. My ex-wife was uh, from Wisconsin and I had only been there in spring and I'm just like, what a gorgeous state. What a beautiful, I just, you know, exuding, like I might want to move here. And people are like, dude, the winters, <laughs> you're from San Francisco. You're, you're not going to do good here. <laughs> Yeah, I had it. I remember it was the the first day of my second semester and it was in Iowa and it was negative 40 and when the wind chill was negative 80 and I remember getting out. It was the the coldest day in Iowa City history. And I remember getting outside and wanting so badly to cry, but knowing that if I did, it was going to freeze on my cheeks. So and then yeah. I got, when I got up to zero degrees, I was like, this is incredible. This, this feels like Los Angeles. So at that low of a degree, I mean, it must be hard to breathe. Don't your lungs like freeze? Oh yeah. yeah. Everything freezes. Your nose hairs freeze. It's yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's not meant for humankind. So, and, and so, and you went to school there. So did you have like, were you sitting there going, man, I should have went to Florida state. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> It was so funny. Like at that age, I don't even remember what I was thinking of as far as like choosing colleges. Um, but I, I do remember every time I would tell somebody in Iowa that I was from Colorado, they would say, what the hell are you doing here? And um, I, I could never really answer them, but I no, I had a good experience out there. I, I liked it. But uh, yeah, it's cold. Did you did you uh, you did you know you were a writer then? Were you were you pursuing that then? 
You know, I've, I've always written, written stories, but when I got to college, I was, um, I certainly wasn't thinking of creative writing, which is kind of funny because University of Iowa is, is probably the best writing right. school out there. Um, so I was doing, I actually majored in religious studies, believe it or not, even though I'm not religious at all. And then um, journalism. And I took a couple creative writing classes when I was there, but I didn't really become like, you know, a quote unquote novelist or try to write a novel until, until a few years after that. You know, religious studies is probably better than a creative writing degree because there's just, they, there's so much rich storytelling from all the, all, all of like theology and um, dogma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, religion is, is storytelling. You're right. I mean, it's, it's narrative. And then, um, you know, it's fun. I don't know if it's, if it's purposeful, but like almost everything I write, it's got, got some of that religion in it, you know? And I think that uh -huh. was, I think it's just, you know, whether you believe or not, it's hard not to be fascinated by that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, yeah you know, I grew up in a, I grew up in a like, really strict religion and then I got out, but yeah. it's, but you know, it's just, I'm still come to grips with it. But what intrigues me is I think in the end, we're just trying to tell ourselves stories because the world's like just chaos. If we yeah. really think about it, we shouldn't even be here. <laughs> you know, it's just like, and then, so it's like, well, what story do we tell ourselves to make ourselves comfortable so we can do our laundry? Yeah. I told, I mean, yeah, humans are, humans are dependent on, on stories and that's what religion is. And that's why we write books and that's why we read stories. And, and sometimes it provides us comfort and then sometimes it terrifies us and, and sometimes a little bit of both. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're all natural storytellers in the time, time kids are a little tiny they're they're telling their stories and and um and religion is giving those stories and those warnings that that novels do as well i guess yeah yeah it's fun i i love that you brought up how we're always storytelling because i i always try to bring that to my students I'm, you know especially like the beginning students i'm like you know you're not novices at this <laughs> you've been doing this forever yeah. You know, when you, when you tell, when you're telling, when you're gossiping about someone, cause we got to gossip, we have to, you know, gossip about everyone. You wouldn't believe what John uh, Bassoff said the other day. And then, you know, and then there's a story where they, they picture the situation and the, you know, it's, we're sitting there just giving stories out and then, oh, but put it to paper. It's a different relationship though. I know I'm a, yeah, I teach, you know, I teach high school and in my creative writing class, I'm, I'm amazed at how kids are, they feel paralyzed when they have to write a story. And it's exactly what you said. I mean, it's, that's what we do. And they say, well, I don't know how to start it. I, you know, it's the whole, what's that? What's that musical? It started at the very beginning. I forget which one, some Julie Andrews musical with that song, but um, yeah, they're like, if you listen to them talking in classes, they're telling stories about what happened over the weekend or what happened then. Right. And ask them to, to, to actually write the story down. And it's, it's immediately, you know, frozen. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> I had this one, I, I teach at the library once a month. So I just get like a, it's a boatload of just anybody can come in, which just, I adore to no end. And one woman was telling me, she's like, I just can't do it because I'm so scared to practice. And I'm like, well, you just put pen to paper. She's like, yeah, but I'm scared how people will react. And I'm like, no one's going to read it. And she's like, well, don't you have to post it on Twitter? And I'm like, no. No, that's the last thing you do. And I think there's this urge to like, oh, she's like, but I got to try to build up publicity. And I'm like, no, you don't. Not yet. It, it, 
Yeah, I wonder like if not do do like journals and diaries, do they still even exist now? I don't know. Because now like for it to exist, it's got to be on social media pretty much. And it seems like that's replaced our journals and diaries. And, and now it's for everybody to see. Yeah, it's so strange. Do you do you remember Live Journal? Were, were, were you around when Live Journal was around? I remember live. I didn't do Live Journal, but yeah. I remember it. I did Live Journal. I think it was like the late 90s early 2000s, you know, pre MySpace, pre Friendster, there was like live journal and, and your, your group of friends was maybe 50, but right. you, you poured your hearts out on those things. Cause they were like, they were essays and there was beauty to it. Now it's just, everything's, just, and it was a small group and no, it wasn't like public. No one could read the whole thing. So you can, you know, talk about your lost loves, how much life sucks. You get all emo, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then, um, yeah. Do people even have diaries and journals? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm sure some do, but yeah, I, I do, know. but I do, but I'm old. So yeah. I don't know if any of my students do. And right. I'm sure my, my students would think if, you know, if you're not going to post it for the world to see what's, what's the point of it. Yeah. And then the problem with that is they're always, they're always thinking like marketing instead of thinking crafting. Yeah. Well, and too, like with, with young people, it's, um, you know, as people our age, we're able to kind of, we have our personas and we can see the difference between like an online persona and just our, our normal persona. And but for kids in, in middle school and high school to ask them to do that is asking an awful lot. And so, you know, they're, they're trying to navigate those things of, of writing about their own lives and, and being aware that everybody's going to see it and some, some navigate it a little bit more successfully than others, but man, it is, it is a tough, a tough road to navigate. What now, when your students do put it on the page, um, you know, do, do they, uh, do you see where, like, do you see sometimes where it clicks where they, where they, where they, where they've been working on it enough and they're like, Oh wait, I don't have to post this. I can keep working on this. Nobody has to see it. Yeah. I'm pretty with, with my kids. I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty upfront with them that, um, that I'll never force them to share. And, uh -huh. um, but if they want to, they can. And, you know, one, one thing I did in another class, one of my classes was I had them all come up with their own pen names and so forth. So they felt, you know, that extra kind of safety where it's like almost somebody else who's, who's writing mm -hmm. it kind of that anonymity there. Um, but yeah, there is, I think, uh, a little bit of a freedom for them of, of realizing that, Hey, I can, I can write something here and I don't have to worry about how many likes I'm going to get. And I don't have to worry about all the comments that are going to go after it. I can just write it and put it into space. And, you know, the teacher may or may not read it, but, um, but it's not going to be that, you know, the showing it for the entire world to see. Right. How long have you been teaching? I've been teaching a long time. Uh, I, this is my 23rd year teaching. Wow. Yeah. And what, and what grade, what's, what's the ages of your students? So I, I teach high school. I teach mainly juniors in high school. Um, yeah. but I used to, I, when I first started, I taught elementary school. I, I, my first job was in Harlem, New York. Um, oh, wow. And, and that, that was, a that was a tough, tough first year for me trying to, yeah trying to figure all that out and having no classroom management at all. And, um, you know, t I've been, I guess, teaching high school now for uh, probably the last 16 or so years. And 
Um, high school is a lot easier than elementary school, in my opinion. I and mean, people who teach elementary school, man, that's that's a tough one. I, I mean, in elementary school, there, there's probably a lot of expectation to also kind of babysit the kids while doing the lessons or i mean how does that like parent teacher parent teacher conferences do they suck more in elementary or do they suck more in high school they suck more in elementary school i mean yeah. in, in high school you you've got these very short you know they come in for a few minutes and they're gone and they have all the teachers and you know i mean you're spending all day in elementary school with the same kids and if you like them it's great if you if you don't like them it's a little bit rough and um you know you do you're you're, you're spending more time with them in some cases than your family, some of these kids. And, right. um, and so, you know, you can understand parents wanting to have real conversations and there's a lot of stuff that's rewarding about elementary school. You do kind of, you know, develop in some ways, deeper relationships, but no, it was, I, I was happy to make the switch. It's been, yeah. it's been better for me in, at, with the older kids than the younger ones. And then the first the first time you were in high school, were you like, oh, okay, Johnny, put your gum in my hand, come on up. And then you're just like, oh, wait, I'm not in elementary school. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was hard to sell my, like when I was making that shift from elementary school to high school, that was kind of a tough sell because people were wondering, are you going to be able to make that transition? But, um, I, you know, you, you figure it out pretty quickly. You figure out where, where kids are and, mm -hmm. and um, I don't, yeah, so I was able to make the transition okay it's fascinating too like yeah you know i love watching <laughs> it sounds perverted when i say it out of context but i love watching little kids but i love watch little kids because they're establishing like if you just set them off to do their thing they're establishing hierarchy they're establishing games or they're like okay here are the rules to this game yeah. and it's it's just so interesting that they come up with their own like social um, they they can come up with their own village and go, okay, you're the captain, you're this. Well, no way, I don't want to be that. It's or or yeah, am I out of my mind when I <laughs> Yeah, no, and there's so much honesty, especially among oh, really young kids, you know. Mm. And and if you look terrible, they'll let you know. Yeah, without, without a problem. Yeah. And the um and the, like even with uh stories, I've heard this before, and I haven't done it in years, but I used to grab my friends' kids when they were like. 12 or 13 and I'd be like and I would pitch them my story if I was working on a novel or if I was working on a screenplay and they'll just tell you no that sucks oh that's totally cool I get that and it's it's kind of the perfect age to just grab kids and go what do you think of this and if you can hold their attention you know you got something yeah you know my my son he's a little older now he's he's 15 but when we when he was I don't know, nine or 10 and I was working on a couple of novels and we would just go take a walk and I would give him my ideas and he was the, it was the best feedback feedback I ever got because he would tell me, no, that, it, that doesn't make sense for these reasons. Or, and yeah. adults are so used to, you know, skating around and, and, yeah. and, and trying to not hurt your feelings. But he gave me great feedback as a, as a 10 or 11 year old. Yeah. Yeah. It almost makes me want to have kids so I can have a good editor, but then you lose that editor when they get older. Right. Cause yeah, probably not the best reason to have kids, but <laughs> it's the only reason. Maybe I should just adopt 10 year olds and then like dump them when they're 13. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I had thought about that. Having that, that 10 to 13 is a good, good age range for kids. Right. <laughs> what, um, with as a high school teacher, has have you had people come back and go, Hey, thank you so much, Mr. Bassoff. I like wrote this novel, I wrote this film, I made this musical. Has anyone kind of come back and 
show well, themselves exemplary in their adult life? You know, I haven't had anybody who's come back who said they've written the novel yet. Um, I do have a former student who, who moved to LA a, a few years ago. He's still just a kid. I mean, he's like 22 years old, uh, but he's gotten firmly entrenched in the movie biz and is trying to, and, you know, and he always talked about the, you know, the classes, the creative writing classes that he, that he took there. It kind of inspired him to go that direction. Um, but I think more so than, than that is just like kids being thankful that there was a class where they were able to express themselves, you know, because that's one of the few, a creative writing class is one of the few classes where you can be honest in, in your writing as opposed to, to writing essays and all the other stuff. Kids were able, and I, you know, they knew the kind of stuff that I wrote, which was definitely not PG. And I kind of gave them permission to, to write what they wanted to write. And so I think the kids, I think kids appreciated that and sometimes would come back and tell me that. Um, but no, I'm still, I'm still waiting for that first big novelist to come or, or big movie star to, and then, and then I can, you know, ride his or her tailcoats after that. Right. Exactly. You better be invited to the Oscar party. That's, That's what yeah. I, I always tell my students. I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm probably not going to talk to you for five years, but remember me when you have that Oscar party, because I like free food. Exactly. Or at least, at least say our names when they're, when they're getting the Oscar. <laughs> I don't ask them that because I, you know, that's, that, that's uh, what do you call it? That's uh that's real estate on time before the orchestra comes in. Right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'd like to thank my mom and my dad and Jesus Christ, our savior and Satan and hell. And, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So they, so they know, they know your books. Do some of them come into your class and go, Oh yeah, I've read your, I've read your stuff. They do. Um, you know, I have to be careful. Obviously, I don't want to, you know, come across as somebody who's trying to get rich off my students. Um, but there is, is it assigned reading? <laughs> I, I really, I've really thought about doing that, you know. Um, no, but I, I remember there was this, this one girl I had years ago, and I, I feel like this is one of my, my first books, which was just a, a really crazy book called The Disassembled Man. And she was this really sweet, innocent girl. And, and somehow she got the book and read it. And then she came to class and, and she just looked at me and said, Mr. Bassoff, I'm never going to be able to look at you the same way again. <laughs> and, you know, I took that. I, I, I guess I took that as a compliment. Um, but yeah, I've had a lot of students who have, I mean, I think some of them think it's cool that I've written books. And so they'll, uh, and I'll try to tell, hey, I don't, I don't know if this book's going to be for you necessarily, right. but, but they give it a try. And, and some of them seem to like it and some of them never finish. And, you know, that's, a, that's okay too. Yeah. Sometimes when you're writing, are you a little scared and go, oh crap, um, I, if I put this scene in, um, my, my juniors were, or might read this and know that I'm crazy in the head. <laughs> yeah. You know, the only thing I've always been as a teacher, as a teacher, I'm always careful about doing any stuff with like, you know, writing underage scenes, those kind of things. Cause you know, that could right. hit too close to home, but otherwise I'm, I, I've been, I've been okay as far as just letting loose. And, and so far, unbelievably, I've never had any complaints from, from parents, you know, probably because I never read any of my stuff. Right. But, right. You want complaints. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> look, if everyone can read my book and then at least one complains that no, that, that means that there's a lot of people out there that read it that didn't complain. Yeah. And I remember when I was first, so I used to write under a pen name because my stuff was so crazy. And I remember um, telling my parents, like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to go with, with my own name. 
And my mom is like, that is such a terrible decision. She was, she was absolutely mortified just because the fact that I was a teacher, she thought I was going to get fired as soon as people found out. And, um, but it's been, yeah, yeah, I've, I've had none of that. So, so thankfully. Now, when your first book came out with your own name on it, was, was there more worry and like, was there, was there some trepidation going, wow, I, I, I'm actually really putting myself out there. There was some of that, but you know what, it, it, it counterbalanced like using a pen name I found really difficult um you know especially with social media and everything because I remember at the time I, I put something out and then I had to like create a whole different social media account for that you know that yeah. person's name and then you know you start getting confused of, of who you are a little bit there um so yeah there was there was a little trepidation of of you know when you when you have your name and especially when you're writing kind of twisted stuff of of how people are going to react. Um, but I, you know, I always felt, I never felt embarrassed about the stuff that I wrote. I never felt ashamed about the stuff that I wrote. So I was, I was, I was okay. And I figured if somebody didn't like it, that they didn't like it and that's fine. It's their problem. It's, it's their problem. Yeah. They're wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so when, so, uh, where, so did you grow up in New York? Is that how you ended up there um, teaching or what, what was? So, yeah, I was born in New York, but I moved to uh, Colorado when I was real young, when I was just about two years old. But I always kind of you moved you know, on like, your own when you were two. Yeah, I left oh, my wow. parents, left my parents <laughs> behind. They were searching for me for years. I'm so sick of this place. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I guess my parents moved us to Colorado <laughs> when I was two. And um, but my parents always they were still New Yorkers, like growing up, even though we were in Colorado, you know, they had lived there their whole lives and their parents had lived there their whole lives. And we went back there quite a bit. And then uh, I always wanted to live there. So the whole time I was growing up in Colorado, I was always complaining about how boring it was and wanting to be in New York. And and so after college, I, I did. I moved back out there and, um, you know, I loved it. I, I lived there for about four years after college and met my wife out there and um, but then of course my wife was from Colorado and so she made me move back to Colorado and that's where I've been ever since. Um, so, so I you, my... you found, you went to New York to, and you found love, but the love you found was someone from your home state. Well, it's even, it's even worse than that. Um, Is it? yeah, she, she, so my dad is professor and she was in my dad's class at, at the university of Colorado. And uh, she had to go talk to him and say, hey, I'm, I've, I've got to miss your class because I'm checking out some graduate schools in New York. And he said, hey, you should look up my son and my daughter. They're out in New York. And, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time. I don't think my dad was trying to set us up, uh, but it turned out that he did set us up. And so, um, yeah, she came out there. I, I, we, we hung out and a year later we got married. And when you first met her, did you think there was something special? Like, even though you had a girlfriend, you're like, Oh crap. Oh uh, yeah. 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 I mean, it was, it was definitely one of those, uh, first day this let's, let's get this going. Um, so yeah, yeah she, she moved back to Colorado. you know, she was in Colorado. My girlfriend was, was living in New York and I remember talking to people like, I don't know what to do. I really like this girl in Colorado, but I'm dating this girl here. And everyone's like, hey, don't be crazy. You got the New York girl, stay with the New York girl. So then I, I took all their advice and then the next day broke up with the New York girl. So yeah. Um, and, and it worked out, I guess. Yeah. Are you now, did you stay friendly with the New York girl or was she out of your life at that point? You didn't uh, know this was Oprah, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I think we you I, could you always know. choose. You could always tell me, Tony. No, I'm not answering that, and that's fine too. You're getting into some really dark places here. No, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was fine. I wouldn't say we were friendly or unfriendly. I I haven't yeah. seen her since then, but but nothing too dramatic. Yeah, that's beautiful though. What, yeah, what did I, your What did your dad think when you told him that you you're like, hey, you know that girl you sent? Uh, yeah, I'm in love. Oh, he took full credit. I mean, a hundred percent at that point, he said that he, yeah, that he, had, it was a total setup, um, which he didn't think at the beginning, but as soon as I told him it was happening, yeah, he, he took complete credit for it and he still does to this day. Well, he may not have thought it, but a father really knows his son. Like, you know, it's, there may have been something where it was just like somewhere deep in there. He's like, yeah, my son's got a girlfriend, but oh, but her, uh, you know, do you think that or no? I don't think so, but you know okay. what? My my dad would love what you're saying right now. <laughs> so I'll, I'll pass it on. Yeah. When when did when did you like when did you just go? You know what? I'm writing a novel. Like what was? Did, when did you just sit down and go? Okay, this is it. And then when did you realize you made the wrong choice in life? <laughs> <laughs> Same day. No, <laughs> yeah. I was. So I was, I was in New York and I had actually, I was, I was about to get a summer job, but then I suffered like a wrist injury playing basketball. And I went to this surgeon and he said that he was going to have to do this reconstructive surgery. So I wasn't going to be able to do the summer job I was doing. And I just finished reading this book by, I don't know if you've ever heard of Jim Thompson, but he was a um, 1950s kind of pulp crime fiction writer uh, he wrote a book called The Killer Inside Me, and I had read this book and just kind of blew me away. It was written from the point of view of a, of a total psychopath, mm -hmm. which for whatever reason, I was like, hey, this is great. I love this. And um, so since I didn't have that summer job, I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a novel. And of course, the novel that I wanted to write was that book that I had just read. And so I, I tried to rewrite that one basically. And it was, it was totally derivative. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, but I think, you, you know, you, you got to go through that process. And so I spent however many, six months, nine months or something writing that and giving it to my parents. And, you know, they were kind, hey, you got, there's something here, but I, I knew it wasn't, you know, good enough. And so then, um, and then I found other authors to try to rip off Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had read Camus and I loved Camus. So I tried to write my own version of The Stranger and uh, I had read some some Flannery O'Connor. And so I tried to write my my version of Flannery O'Connor. And I think eventually, like once you start imitating enough people badly, you start to create your own style. And I think that's what happened to me is I was I was trying so hard to imitate these different writers that I loved so much and doing it unsuccessfully that I kind of combined all of those voices in, into my own in some way. It, that makes so much sense because it's almost like, um, I mean, it's where, you know, as humans, we're all pretty similar creatures. And so we, we're, we're, we're always, you know, if, I'm sure you talk to Flannery O'Connor, there would be the same story of, you know, the books that were, that were previous Flannery and, um, and, and it's just uh it's, it, it, uh, I won't take credit for this. A friend of mine said this reading is breathing in writing is breathing out. So we do have to breathe in the form of, you know, of other authors. And then, it, and just, you know, I, I wrote 
I wrote my Bukowski poems. Oh, yeah. I oh, I I thought I was a genius. I went to, I went to I went to Paris and I was 24 with all my handwritten poems and barely any money. But I knew that if I went to Shakespeare and Company, they would book me to read my poetry. And when yeah. I went in there and told them I was from San Francisco and I had poems, they looked at me and said, "What do you want, sir?" <laughs> Just like, and I'm like, wait, that's not how it works. I'm a genius, though, you know. And just, yeah. And just, dear God, I'm glad there was no uh, social media then because those poems do not exist outside of my parents' garage. Yeah, but I mean, it's funny going back and looking at your old writing and just seeing, you know, that time in your life and and your voice as you're trying to discover your voice and maybe it's a little bit of Bukowski's voice, but yeah, um, yeah. But at the, I'm with you. Like I talk about how how terrible my stuff was um but at the time i was like this is pretty damn good you know yeah. this is my this is my first novel and and this should get a six-figure uh advance. Yeah. no problem yeah and they should be coming to me i don't even need to send this they should know <laughs> i do have a friend like this actually happened to a friend of mine though he had been he had tried writing some screenplays over the years and and nothing really happened and then he said all right i'm gonna i'm gonna write a novel you know and he's one of those guys who's just had never written a novel before in his life. And so he sat down, wrote this horror novel, sent it out to like, you know, 20 agents, all of them rejected it. And then the 21st agent said, I really like this. I think I can sell it. And then within three weeks, he had a $500,000 advance. And I was like, how, how, how does that happen? But that, that didn't happen to me, but it did happen to my friend. What's his name? His name is Christopher Ransom. Oh, okay. And he's a, yeah, he's a horror writer. So. You know, but he also had the screenwriting background and there's so much, to, you know, there's a lot of work of put, building story in a, in a screenplay where it's, you know, these screenwriters who become novelists, it's it's kind of intriguing because it's, you can almost see um, that it's almost like they are seeing the film in a very interesting way when you, and, yeah, you, and I mean, you read their work. Yeah. Yeah. If you're writing screenplays, you have to at least be thinking visually Mm -hmm. And you have to be good at writing dialogue and that, you know, and that's a big piece of, of writing narratives. I've, I've gone and gone the other way where I've written some screenplays like based on my novels. And that's an interesting experience too, where you're really trying to condense everything you've written um, and, and trying to figure out, all right, what, what can I, what can I leave out here? You know, how yeah. can I take this 300 page book and make it into this two hour movie? And that's, that's another interesting experience. It's a brutal experience. I had to do that. And I had to do that with my novel and I don't ever want to adapt my own work again. Yeah. That's what, that's, that's how brutal it was for me. I'm like, it, it was great. I knew I had to do it with that novel and any, and for, you know, and I'll adapt it. I know how to adapt a book to a screenplay now, but I don't want to do my own. It, it was too much. Yeah. And it's, it's a totally different art. You know, it's not something where like, you know, one lends itself to the other necessarily. They're, they're two totally different things. Yeah. And they, and just how to, con I mean, you gotta, it's like, oh yeah. You know, what's conveyed in these 60 pages has to be conveyed in half a page. Right. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, what? And just to think that, you know, but they, it's, it's, and then after you see the process and you're like, oh wait, the actor can convey this, the director can convey it with, the way how they choose the shot so that it's it's learning how to stay out of the way from what i what i what you know on that one we'll see what happens on the other ones but learning to stay out of the way of the story but put the story there i guess yeah well i mean it's got to be cool i've like 
be, you know, I've been trying to make it happen, but being able, somebody's adapting your work, having a bunch of other people creating something new out of something that you started, that's, that's gotta be pretty, pretty cool thing. That's, I want to, you know, and I just started like, I started reading plays. I'm cause that juice is so that, that like, that's like heroin, you know, when you see like great actors, like just doing something else with your dialogue and you go, that doesn't, that doesn't sound anything like I wrote, but it's what I wrote, but they took it to a whole new level and made it like three different um, angles where it's just like, and that wasn't in my head, but they did. And then people go, what a great writer. You knew what those three different angles and you just kind of smile and go, well, thanks for noticing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's episode. It's just like, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I gotta do plays, you know, so I can just get my little fixes here and there. And then, yeah, I mean, it's the closest you can get to like having uh, somebody cover your music, cover your songs is, is having actors read your work. Um, I was I was lucky enough. I got to go to France for um, like one of my books was was translated to France. And so I got to go out to France for a week. And, and um, it was kind of this weird experience where, you know, I didn't speak any French. And so you had the translator, but the people who were talking to me didn't speak any English and they were asking questions and so forth. But at one of the events, there were they had these French actors who who read out the book. They like did a, a play of of a couple of scenes, which I had never seen done for like a, a, a book reading before. But it was really cool. Like I didn't understand anything that they were saying, you know, because it was all in French, but I knew it was my work and I knew they were interpreting my work in some way. And I and you know, it would have been even cooler if it had been in English, but it was still kind of cool to see this in a foreign language. Please tell me you have that on videotape somewhere. <laughs> I do not because I didn't know it was gonna happen. You know, wow. I was just sitting, I was just sitting there and then all of a sudden these two guys came out there and and started letting it rip so yeah was this pre uh having the video having our having um <laughs> you know the the iphone which is just so cracks me up so much because we don't have to bring our big betamax cameras to anything anymore this was pre that you know this was how long ago is this this is probably like six seven years ago i don't know if i had a really good iphone to record at that point I probably oh, should. Okay. I probably should have though. Now you're making me feel bad. Oh, the point of all of this is to make you feel good. I I apologize. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so um, so then how do you get to when you moved to Colorado? Was it a kind of where do you just apply for jobs for uh, to be a high school teacher there? And you yeah, I was actually still teaching elementary at that point, and so I got a job teaching elementary school. I did that for a few years, and then um. Yeah, made the, made the shift to high school, and um, you know the nice thing about being in Colorado, even though I was gone for, I guess you know with college in New York, and then I also lived in in Portland, Oregon for a year, so I was gone for about a decade. But you know, you, you do have those roots that are that are there, and and for whatever reason, where I grew up, which is in Boulder, Colorado, a lot of people who leave come back, and so one of the really nice things is being back there is just how many childhood friends, you know, that I'm still around. And I know for some people that's, that sounds nightmarish. Um, but like, you know, it, it is amazing that I have these friendships of, of people that I became friends with when I was six years old and, and we're still <sighs> friends today. Um, I just had, you know, a, a book launch the other day and there was probably, you know, 20 people that I went to elementary junior high high school with and and uh, you know you get a kick out of that so 
as much as I miss the city life and being out in New York and so forth, there is something to be said for, you know, kind of being in, in home in your hometown and, and where you grew up. I get that because I, mean, I miss, I miss, you know, there's a lot about living in San Francisco and I lived in a suburb south of San Francisco and there's, right. you know, and it's just like, when I go back up there, it's just, that's where the roots are from. That's where the people who have known me for decades are, yeah. you know, it's just the different tribes of people that, you know, the ones that I went to school with and then the other ones that I met through radio and, you know, and we were all goofy and in our twenties. And yeah. So to, why did you, why did you move to LA? Um, I, the film that was adapted from my book that I wrote, uh, was in pre-production. So I just, and I had to just get down here like immediately. Yeah. And I knew I was leaving San Francisco, uh, cause, cause San Francisco used to be like a great place to kind of be a writer. And I used to write for the San Francisco Chronicle and stuff. And it, it, it was, it was good. And it was just like, it had been losing it for a long time. And I knew I had, I knew it was New York or LA and, um, and when you know it's and you never you know it's just like yeah yeah right i you know we're in meetings we're doing you know rewrites on the script but you never i mean i i realized at that point because i already had it fizzle with another production company i i wasn't betting on anything you know i was just like oh yeah and then all of a sudden it's just like we're in pre-production it's just like i gotta get down there and you still don't know if it's going to shoot yet right so it's just like you're like okay we're in pre-production so just start showing up and kind of putting the energy there and being around it and then all of a sudden you're in production you still don't know if you're gonna get shut down halfway through (laughs) so it's just like um but that's what i came to la and then and i have you know i have a lot of friends here through the writing community and um and i just stuck around it was uh it was it was time to leave san francisco even though it breaks my heart to leave san francisco um Oh, I sound like I'm writing yeah. a song. You, you left your heart there. Yeah. <laughs> but I still got, it's, you know, I still got my people up there and just, it's, you know, just the weather up there. It's just, you know, the fog rolling in just feels like a hug from this, you know, yeah. from the atmosphere um, that I don't get here in Los Angeles when it's just like, well, it's either hot or it's really hot. Yeah. Except we do get some nice rain and some, we have, we've had some nice cool days. I actually had to wear a hoodie to the cafe the other day and i was just so excited well my my daughter is looking to she's she's a junior in high school so she's looking at colleges and her only thing is she wants to go somewhere warm so we uh that's, <laughs> you know, she doesn't care about anything else but we went and toured went out to l i'd never been to la and we went out there oh yeah a month or two ago and yeah uh, stayed in Hermosa Beach and um, oh, beautiful out there, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew nothing about LA, so it was it was just um, I was trying to, you know, the one thing is I was like, I want to see some. I, I'm a huge Tom Waits fan. Uh huh. So I was like, I want to I want to find some old Tom Waits haunts, and so we you know, we, we looked and, and like went over to the Troubadour where he used to play. Yeah, and got a yeah. Picture out there and stuff, but um, yeah, I mean, LA is cool. I just you know I've spent so much time in New York that I never been out to that to southern california you know it's fun and so as a san franciscan most san franciscans have their nose up regarding la i was that person too i mean it's and and i realized i was like because all i knew was like santa monica pier the promenade and disneyland right Right. (laughs) she's like and and i was just like no when i come to la this time i'm gonna be not a tourist but a traveler and i'm gonna pretend like i'm like scouring paris for the cool stuff 
And Los Angeles is just, if you open yourself up to it, it's amazing. It's yeah. it, 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 everyone's just like, Oh God. Yeah. All the strip malls. And you're like, yes. But if you go to, if you go through that one door that doesn't look like anything, you're going to go see Maria Bamford and Sarah Silverman do a set at noon. It's <laughs> like, it, it is, there's just that much like creative juice happening. It's just, it's just packaged differently, you know? Yeah. Well, and it seems like, I mean, my impression is there's just like kind of a bunch of, of small towns all in inside Los Angeles until you kind of yeah. have to stick around and, you know, you are spending, uh, we did spend a lot of time in the car. So that was, that was true. That whole yeah. stereotype, but, um, but yeah, it's beautiful and having the ocean there. And so yeah, my dad would love to end out there. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, um, yeah, cause I don't live near the ocean. I'm in uh, Los Feliz, which is like East of Hollywood. So I'm pretty much inland, but there is, um, what do you call it? I had a, I had a thought and the thought went away. I have no idea what I was going to say. There it goes. Here, it, Alzheimer's right there. Just started. It started, it started when I was talking to you. And it was probably the most important thought you ever had. No, it was, it was the most mediocre thought I ever had, but I love mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, did you, does she know about the horror of going to college in Iowa. And that's why she says, dad, I'm going somewhere warm. She knows a little bit about that, but even like Colorado, we're like, Hey, why don't you, you know, it's cheaper. Why don't you stay here? We're in, in oh, Colorado. And she says, no, it's too cold. Yeah. So, you know, she's looking at California. She's looking at Arizona. She's even looking at Texas. She's, you know, she's into uh, she likes country boys. And so she's, she's become, had this romantic idea about Texas, which is, I mean, Hey, I, you know, whatever, whatever she decides is great, but it, those are, yeah. those are a couple of different places there, California versus Texas. So. Yeah. It's, it's so, I haven't been to Texas and I don't, you know, I don't like, um, I'm, a, I'm not a guy that says stuff. Well, you know, there's the term flyover States and all that, but it's just, it kind of demeans an entire yeah. population of people that actually have really cool things going on. So I know that there's a California, Texas, you know, thing um, that where people are just like no way man but i'm like i've never been to texas oh i'm sure i mean i've you know i've been to austin which is a cool town and i'm sure there's a lot of beautiful places out there i mean even we're like when you talked about flyover obviously iowa is one of those so-called flyover states but it's pretty you know there's there's a lot of beauty there too you just have to know where to look where to look for it and it's a different kind of beauty but um yeah yeah, so I like what you said. It's it is demeaning, I'm sure, for those people who who feel like it's just and they all kind of get blended together, all right? Central states, and then we're we're the jerks about it because well, for me, when I say we're the jerks, I say you know Los Angeles and the coastal Los Angeles and New York, we're the jerks because uh, they're looking at us going, oh, you're the ones that call us flyover flyovers, and I'm like, no, 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 it's them, but it's not me. I, I like I like you guys. I want to stay here and get to know everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's what I liked yeah. about Wisconsin. It was, I mean, I haven't been there because I got divorced, but it was just, there was just so much beauty and just so cool and small town vibe. And immediately they knew I was not from there and they're like, who are yeah. you? And I just be like, oh, you know, you know, I'm from San Francisco. And they'd be like, oh, so you're gay. And you know, this is back <laughs> in the nineties. And I'm like, well, no, but you know, it's, <laughs> there's very, there's, it's, it's, I know the stereotype and I understand so. Yeah, my brother-in-law is a Wisconsin guy, so he he took me there a couple of years ago. He took did the whole Madison University of Wisconsin mm. experience. Got to go to a football game and all the small town bars, and they had a great time. It was a fun cheese curds. Time. I yeah, love eating cheese curds. curds. Yeah, 
I'm like, why no this idea. is what's that? I had no idea what they were until I was out there, and then I, yeah, I found out. yeah. I and and I was like, I had so many, I was constipated for almost a week because you're just sitting there going, I need more of these, I need more of these. Oh wait, there's also uh, what do you call it? Um, <laughs> I don't know if you saw it. We had someone. I did. In. <laughs> I'm like, whoa! <laughs> I left my door unlocked, and so I just let the random people come in and take showers if they need to. No, yeah. I'm kidding. That that's she's. I mean, she's. I told her to come in. She's like, yo, but you'll be recording, and I'm like, I know, but I won't notice you. Like, oh, okay. But I think she was probably looking for the bathroom because. <laughs> Now I'm getting now I'm getting a sense of the layout there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, um, and and what what um, what what is what's your writing routine like? Like like are you, are you pretty? Do you keep like now that you have a book out? Are you on the next book? Yeah, I mean this. So this book's actually my ninth one. So I've been doing this for a while. I've got another one that's completed, and then I've got another one that that I'm working on. Um, but I don't. I wish I had a writing routine, but mm -hmm. the problem is I got the full-time job and I got the kids and, and all of that. So it's really been for the last, you know, 15 years, right whenever I can. Yeah. And obviously as, as a teacher, summers is when I probably get the most of my work done because I actually am not working. And, and as my kids have gotten older, they leave me alone a little bit more for it. But yeah, you know, it would be nice to have one of those things where you, you wake up and go for a walk and then you go to the coffee shop for a few hours and sit down and, and write, and then, you know, and then go have lunch and then take a nap. But that's not the way it's been for me. And, um, but the thing you do realize is that I think you have a lot more time than you think you do. Yeah. You know, because people are always saying, how do you, how do you manage to, to write a book every year when you're have a family and a full-time job? And I don't feel like, like, I feel like, I still waste a lot of time. Like, yeah. I, like I don't know. I, I write a book and I still feel like I'm scrolling through Instagram and, and being lazy and so forth. So I, I think um, even though I don't have the routine, I'm pretty disciplined, you know, yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to stop until something's finished, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, maybe once I retire from teaching, I'll be able to do that uh, leisurely morning writer's routine. Cause that would be oh, kind of nice. It's fun. I actually do it. <laughs> You've got that. <laughs> yeah. It's COVID kind of screwed me up, but my routine has been like before COVID and I'm finally kind of getting back into it is, and I, I can't bring a laptop to a cafe. I just, it still like disgusts me. They should have a, they should have a device section and a smoking section and then, you know, and it all should be in the bad part of the cafe, right. but, um, but I handwrite everything and then I'll print mm -hmm. it out. And then, so the morning is for handwriting new scenes. And then I go to a matinee and then I, and then, and then I'll go in, I'll work on, um, I'll print them out and then I can work on edits or editing other things. And See, now that's, I, 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 I'm very jealous. I have to say I, I do that's, and it's funny. I've been, I've been doing more of the writing by hand recently, just because you spend so much as a teacher, spend so much time online. Yeah. Um, it's really nice. It's just a, it's a totally different type of creativity for whatever reason, when you're writing by hand versus typing it out. Um, you know, it can be like, eventually I've got to get it on the computer. So sometimes the organization piece can, can be a little difficult for me. Um, you know, if I lose a notebook or whatever, but yeah, I I've really, it's, it's kind of freeing to be able to just bring your notebook and, and write and not have to worry about having your, your MacBook with you. 
it takes out it takes out having to it it's like you can you can write for two bucks instead of a thousand bucks it's there's there's nowhere that says that you have to go directly into the well you know it's it's not the greatest most sleekest way to go because i do have to type everything in but i i find when i'm typing stuff in and i'm kind of editing it too and going oh okay and it's kind of a second you know swipe on it so yeah i have a, a friend who is actually a former student and he lives in portland and uh I mean, he's in his 30s now, so it seems weird. He's my former student, but uh, he's really... Oh, isn't that crazy? When yeah. You... <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a, he's a full-grown, you know, he's yeah. been married and divorced now. I'm like, wow. Wow! Uh, <laughs> yeah, but he's he's really into old typewriters. And so he has oh. all these typewriters that he fixes up and he does, and he's trying to write the great American novel. Yeah. And he might do it. He's a super smart, smart guy, uh, but he does everything on his on his typewriter still, which is like incredibly stupid but also so cool you know so. yeah no it's i the typewriter is really sexy it's just yeah i've been thinking about getting a typewriter i have a manual but you got to hit it so hard it's just i'm like all right i maybe maybe one of these days and then i'm like i just handwrite stop you know i don't want to end up that guy that's on the subway like writing poems for people for two bucks you know right write well, writing- a poem right now Writing Charles Bukowski poems, like like the old days. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um. So congratulations on on the book. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. it's it, it's fun. Like the, you know, whenever you release a new book, it's always like there's that total terrifying piece where nobody's seen it except for those, you know, your editor and your publisher. And so you look at those first like few reviews that come in on Goodreads or whatever, and uh just terrified and and so far it's been pretty good and um i got to have yeah sort of the the it got moved back a month the book release got moved back to to june 21st because of all the supply chain stuff so at first oh, wow. I okay. first i couldn't get my grape nuts for a while and then my book got moved back right. um but I, I i did a a book launch on friday at our local bookstore and it was it was so much fun it was the first time that i done a live event since COVID because the last one I did was was literally the week before everything shut down. I did, wow. a, did an event March 6, 2020. And then yeah. a week later, everything was done. So it was fun. It was like nothing had, you know, it was easy to get back into it. But uh, yeah, there's some stuff like when you release a book, there's the seeing the cover and then getting your copies and then having those first events. Those are those are really fun. Yeah. And then what, what really sucks is one of those Goodreads reviews and you go, oh, they're right. If yeah, I could just exactly. go back. <laughs> those exactly. are the worst. I know. Yeah. You don't mind the ones that are, that just give you a, a sentence that are totally, that don't give any information, but there's those reviews where they, they get at some truth and, and, but the good thing is there's a lot of different truths about what you read or what you wrote. And it is amazing that like, I try not to, I mean, every, I guess every author says I try not to read reviews, um, but we all probably do, at least to some extent. Yeah. And it's amazing how like a bad, how depressed a bad review you can get you. And then, and then immediately after somebody gives a great review and like, you know what? Yeah, see, I was a great writer the whole time. I just, <laughs> you know, for those two days, I thought I was the world's worst writer. And then now all of a sudden, because Susie M on Goodreads says it's good, I'm, I'm a great writer. And then you, and then you like, and then you look on your computer and you find out that Susie M's actually your wife's um, account. 
that, ha- that happens too. Or, or it's my account. You know, <laughs> you're Susie M. <laughs> yeah, I'm Susie. I'm Susie M. This guy's brilliant. I, I just if if you know if he wrote a book every six weeks, I would read it every six weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you got to have you got to be your own biggest fan. I think. Yeah. Well, what we're doing, what I hope we're doing is, in this game, is just writing novels we'd like to read. You know. It's... Yeah, I mean that's always like. I think whenever you're trying to like catch the market, that doesn't work very well. Right. And so I, I've always thought that like, this is, this is the book that I want to read right now. And, and sometimes it works and I'm like, yeah, this is a, a good book to read. And sometimes, you know, I understand that, it, that, you know, my own stuff isn't as readable, but, um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've tried the other way. I've tried like figuring out what the market is looking for. And it's just, that's kind of a miserable experience, I think. I've done the exact same thing with screenplays and it's, it just, it derailed me for about four or five years. And then now I, then I went back to, Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Just, just trust your voice. It doesn't yeah. matter what's marketable that, you know, it's they'll, they'll come around or they won't come around, but be true to yourself and authentic to your voice. And then that's kind of the whole, that kind of like settled me down and made me feel better didn't yeah. pay the bills but it made me feel better <laughs> yeah no i mean yeah i mean you can be aware of your audience obviously you know you don't want it to just be you know master uh, masturbation writing but i i do think that i think you're right i think that um why bother otherwise you know why exactly. bother writing if if you're just trying to trying to catch something else that that isn't yours and um Whereas when, when you're writing your own stuff, even though it can be, you know, it can be tedious as, as you know, at least you have those moments when you're like, Hey, this is me. And I, and I created this in, in all of its beauty and, and ugliness and, and everything else. And, and for me, that's what makes it worth it for sure. What a great way to end the show. Thanks for coming on, John. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for, for having me, Tony. I love talking to you. John Bassoff on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new book, Beneath Cruel Waters, out in June. Next week on the show, we have Tim Kirk. He'll be discussing his book, Christ Never Showed Up. Remember to support us on Patreon. Go to drinkswithtony.com for the link. And that link also is the spot to go if you'd like to listen to any of the new 192 shows that have been recorded since we restarted Drinks with Tony. Keep listening. Keep writing. Keep telling stories and consuming stories. It helps us all find meaning in the chaos that is life. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Good and Jesus.